You are listening to ReachMD, the only source for medical education and information that is on air, online, and on the go. Welcome to the Connect Dialogues, women's health education on ReachMD. While postpartum depression shares many features in common with major depression, there are distinguishing characteristics and unique treatment challenges. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Samantha Meltzer-Brody, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Meltzer-Brody is the co-director of the Perinatal Psychiatry Program at the UNC Center for Women's Mood Disorders, a comprehensive women's mental health program providing clinical care and research for psychiatric disorders across the female reproductive life cycle, including depression during pregnancy and the postpartum, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and perimenopausal mood symptoms. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Meltzer Brody. Hi, thank you for having me. Tell us, what is our current understanding of the cause of postpartum depression? Well, that is a really interesting question. We don't know exactly what causes it, but we do know that some women seem to be particularly sensitive to the changes in reproductive hormones around the time of delivery. So most women do not have a sensitivity that makes them vulnerable during this time, but approximately 10% do. And we speculate that in this group of women, the rapidly falling estrogen and progesterone, the gonadosteroids around the time of delivery, which, you know, precipitously fall, that that is a vulnerable time for some women, likely genetically mediated, but that renders them particularly susceptible to mood changes. And estrogen and progesterone receptors are all over the CNS, and they interact with all of the other neurotransmitter systems. So it's not a surprise that some people would experience that change more severely than others. So 10% of all postpartum women get this? Yes. The prevalence rate for postpartum depression, as well as for depression during pregnancy, in a number of really good quality epidemiologic studies is 10%. And that's a conservative estimate looking at real major depression. If you expand that to less severe forms or to things we might think of as depressive syndromes but don't necessarily meet criteria for a major depressive episode, that number gets higher. Now, you mentioned maybe some genetic underpinning. Does this tend to run in families? Yes, you will see families where there is a history of postpartum depression, certainly a first-degree relative that has a history of postpartum depression. You will see in families that everyone seems to be particularly sensitive to hormonal fluctuations, meaning Everyone in the family, mothers, grandmothers, sisters, have more severe premenstrual syndrome. They may have more severe perinatal symptoms and perhaps will have more severe perimenopausal mood symptoms. If a woman has postpartum depression after one delivery, what kind of risk does she have during the next pregnancy? She has a significantly increased risk. So I think it would jump up to about 50% increased risk that she could have it again. And that would be in women with unipolar or sort of run-of-the-mill major depression. In women with bipolar disorder, the postpartum period is especially vulnerable. And their risk of having postpartum 
serious psychiatric events is much higher. In women with bipolar disorder, if they've ever had a postpartum episode of either depression or postpartum psychosis, then their risk of having it again is well over 90%. 90%? Yes. And again, that's in women with bipolar disorder. Right. Yes. Right. So I assume you just treat them, right? You just assume it's going to happen. Yes. We assume it's going to happen. And the women we see with bipolar disorder, they get very, very sick. And in general, you're seeing a much more severe form of postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis, which in the general population is rare, but in women with bipolar disorder is much more common. It's 100 times more common in women with bipolar disorder than the general population. And for most women, getting that sick is terrifying. It happens quickly. It's a disaster for everyone. And most people are very motivated to try and do something different the second time around. Now, how does postpartum depression differ from the baby blues? That's a good question. It's really based on timing and severity of symptoms. Baby blues, if you look at data, it looks like it affects 70% of women approximately will report some moodiness, mood lability, increased tearfulness, increased anxiety, feeling more vulnerable the first couple weeks after they deliver. And in general, most people will get their bearings and move forward and do okay. If it's not compromising their ability to function, and it does seem to improve over a few weeks, then it falls under the domain of baby blues. If it becomes severe enough that they are not able to function appropriately, so we'll see women that say they cannot sleep at all, even when the baby's sleeping, that they can't function, the anxiety is overwhelming, they're not eating, their family members are reporting they're acting strange or bizarre, or they're feeling just overwhelmed with things, or they have suicidal ideation, or things persist after three weeks, then that becomes a diagnosis of postpartum depression. Now, who should be screening these women after delivery? It seems to me someone without a psychiatric history, after their six-week postpartum check, they're not seen maybe for another year to their annual gynae exam. That is exactly the problem. And so it's been a real challenge to figure out who's responsible. <laughs> I think the American College of OBGYN has made enormous strides in taking on this issue, they still have not mandated universal screening. And partly that's because if you start doing that and you start detecting a 10% prevalence rate, then what are you going to do with all these people? Right. So I think that it's not that it's not recognized, and I think a lot of people providing obstetrical care are now seeing this as something that they should screen for at the six-week visit. The problem is, for some women, the symptoms appear sooner, and they might not have asked for help, especially if it's their first baby and they don't really know what they're supposed to be feeling like. And so six weeks is a bit too late. For some women, the symptoms come after and they're not sure who to call. There's been a movement of sorts for people to see if pediatricians would take this on. But often pediatricians don't see the parents as the identified patient and don't routinely prescribe for the patients. So that gets tricky. I think that in many places, family medicine docs who are often caring for the whole family can do a really good job. And there are very easy screening tools. My personal favorite is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, the EPDS. It's a 10-item self-report form. The nursing staff can give this to the patient when they come into an office. Well-validated in 26 languages, and a positive score is very predictive of a diagnosis of depression. And we use this routinely at the University of North Carolina effectively, and it really is very helpful. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Samantha Meltzer-Brody. We are discussing screening for postpartum depression. Dr. Meltzer-Brody, it seems to me the pediatricians really are the logical choice, assuming that there isn't a family medicine doc following the baby. They're seeing the baby very often, and somebody has to bring in the baby. (laughs) Right. I think that in many ways, because the babies are being seen in general at a two-week, four-week visit, two-month visit, that in some ways, yes, it would make a lot of sense. It's just that there's not a historical basis for pediatricians providing care to parents. And the way most pediatric practices are set up, it's really doesn't work very well. And so it just doesn't happen. And there's some research being looked at, how do you address this? But in general, it has not gone well. I think one of the best examples is the state of New Jersey, where the former governor, Corzine, was able to sign into law a bill, a state bill, that required universal screening for all women postpartum. And a lot of this was motivated because his wife or the former governor's wife, I'm not remembering exactly if it was Governor Corzine or the preceding governor, that person's wife had suffered with postpartum depression. And because she had, there was great awareness, and he was able to put through a bill that mandated universal screening. But that also required an enormous amount of training and then setting up statewide hotlines and having referral-based providers available. But they were successful in doing that. That's the only state in the country that has a model for doing that. And certainly those of us that work in the field would like to see that become something that's you know, exported to all 50 states. In many other countries, they do a much better job of this. So in the UK and Australia, New Zealand, and in Scandinavia, there's a entity called the Health Visitor. And this is a nursing-level provider who takes care of the mother once she goes home. There's routine home visits, but you basically have routine postnatal care built in where they're screening for depression, problems with caretaking, parenting, issues with lactation, and they do screening in that way, and people are identified. And they have a longer maternity leave in which to do it, right? (laughs) Absolutely. There's just all sorts of increased support in place. But this country, I would like to see, hopefully in my career, that we would move to addressing this in a much more robust way and that rather than it being dependent on individual places to come up with a plan, that it would be something that would be part of practice guidelines. And certainly if, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics and Family Medicine and OBGYN made it part of routine postnatal care and screening, that would be helpful. Now, where can our listeners go for more information? There's a number of terrific websites. Postpartum Support International, which is www.postpartum.net, is a advocacy group that has information in all 50 states, a very user-friendly website. And you can find providers, you can find support groups, you can find a lot of very helpful information. And that was developed by a group of survivors some time ago and is very helpful and certainly helpful no matter where you're living in the country. Then certainly looking at one of the centers nationally that have programs, our website, which is www.womensmooddisorders.org. Emory University has an excellent website. Mass General Hospital, a Harvard-related institution, has a good women's mood disorders website. And 
those sites offer very helpful information and give referral sources. Great. Well, thank you. So the take-home message is postpartum depression, extremely common, 10%. Be on the lookout, especially in your bipolar female patients, patients that have had a history of menstrually-related mood disorders and a family history. Absolutely. And the last thing I would add is anyone can download, you can Google the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. Print it out. It's available online in Spanish, and it takes two minutes for people to fill out and is a very helpful tool. The patients fill it out, right? Patients fill it out, yes. Okay. So not any clinician time necessarily required? Well, that's the beauty of it. There can be zero clinician time, and there's a very set cutoff score. So the patient can fill it out, nursing can report the score to the clinician, and that can guide, you know, a referral for further evaluation or not. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking with Dr. Samantha Meltzer Brody of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. We've been discussing recognition of postpartum depression. And you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Dr. Rama Maganti with Barrel Neurological Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. And every chance I get, I listen to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. You've been listening to the Connect Dialogues, women's health education. If you missed any part of this program or would like to hear more like it, visit www.reachmd.com forward slash connect dialogues.